At least five new chiefs have taken over local police departments this past year. And crime trends in the area have fluctuated. Is the pandemic behind all this change? I'm Luke. And I'm Laura. This week, we take a look at the world of crime during the pandemic, where national trends have emerged. Homicides spiked and property crimes took a dip, according to the National Commissions on COVID-19 and Criminal Justice. Investigative reporter Megan Clarity gives us a deeper look on why these trends cropped up across the D.C. region. We'll also learn how local police departments dealt with the tumultuous year of new COVID-19 procedures. So Megan, thanks so much for coming on the show. In D.C. alone, we saw a 150% increase in carjackings and a 20% increase in homicides in 2020. Are these trends ones that are directly connected to the pandemic indirectly? It's hard to say, especially on the carjackings front, because it did seem like in the start of 2020, that stat just skyrocketed and it was happening everywhere. It wasn't just one county or in downtown D.C. It was really everywhere. What I heard anecdotally, so as much as this is worth from a couple of police officers, was they thought it was like the combination of kids being bored not being in school. I mean, just honestly, right. like your perfect storm as a teenager. I'm bored. I want to see my friends. I'm out. And like, let's just do this for kicks. Let's just steal a car. I know. Not knowing maybe that it's not just a funny joke. Like, you know, you can actually be charged mm-hmm. with something. I mean, that said, there were some very serious where people were hurt. But for the most part, it seemed to me that it was a lot of break-ins and a lot of moving cars from one location to another. So the carjacking thing is very interesting. Yes, I do think it's because of the pandemic. It'll be interesting to see when schools are up again full time later this year, if Mm -hmm. that trend goes down, because then we can directly correlate. But for right now, it's all anecdotal. However, the majority of the people who were creating this spike in crime and who were caught in the act were teenagers. So take that as Mm. you will. Homicides, I think, honestly, it's sort of the adult version of the same problem, especially with domestic violence. We were worried about that really in the beginning of it when we were scared to go anywhere. There's no escape. Right. Exactly. And being in a position where you're possibly around your abuser 24-7, you don't have a job to go to or any kind of resources that you would be able to access if you were elsewhere Mm. or really a reason to leave. Right. We did see that tick up in different counties. I will say, I think everyone was expecting, and this is horrible because it's crime, so no crime is good, but I think we were expecting more incidents Mm. of domestic violence. And then I know in Montgomery County, they were saying, wow, if we're not hearing about it, that doesn't necessarily mean it's not happening. Yeah. Right? I mean, we were getting reports because people were able to report, or they were reporting to a colleague, or they were going to a community center because they could, and it was on their bus route home or whatever it is. And now Mm. we are not hearing from them because we can't. So, again, I do think, Luke, it's hard to say that either one of these is related to the pandemic until we see what the numbers are out of the pandemic. Right. But I think it's fair to say that both were impacted for sure. The pandemic caused society to create all these new structures in terms of getting people vaccinated, making sure that people could get the services they need in this brave new world where we couldn't leave. Were there COVID-specific crimes that sprung up during the pandemic? And how did they, if they existed, prey upon unique fears? I get so mad about the scams that happen because it's just... Come on. Exactly. You're like, really? Grandma's already worried about her health and leaving even go to the grocery store, and now you're going to try and scam her out of money? There were so many scams. There were scams about people who said they had the COVID cure. People were saying, oh, register with us, and you'll have to pay whatever, $50, but we'll get you an appointment to get a vaccine right when they first came out and nobody could get an appointment to even be on a waiting list. But it was all people who were just trying to scam you. Christy King did a story a little while ago. It was like 
like 100 seniors lost a couple thousand dollars just because of this one COVID scam. I just keep thinking of more that I did over the past year. This is like Megan Cloherty's trip down memory lane in crime for the last year. <laughs> it's a sad trip. Oh, yeah. I mean, it's not funny, but it's just it really is amazing how those scammers out there think mm-hmm. like that to come up with ways to fleece people. It's unreal. Yeah. And it's a lot of the same disenfranchised populations that would have been scammed before the pandemic. But as we've seen, COVID has been bringing out these inequalities that already existed and exacerbated them. It's awful. We are living in this brave new world. Maybe the health department will call me because I know the FBI is not supposed to call me, but maybe the health department's calling me because I have a vaccine appointment. I mean, that's completely legit. So yeah, because so much changed, it really created this window for scammers to walk through. Shifting to police, how did they deal with all these new COVID restrictions and enforcements that were ordered, especially here locally? Did police arrest people when they didn't wear masks indoors or broke these other restrictions that had to go under during the worst of the pandemic? So I did a, a, a series called Policing Through Change. I'm recalling it because it was meant to be a series about exactly what you just asked. How have things changed with pandemic protocols and how has it changed policing? As we started producing it, it became about police reforms because that's really what was happening at the time as we started the summer. And I don't know if because police reforms were so serious and the subject matter was so difficult that because of that, the COVID changes didn't seem that big of a deal. And I talked to officers in Fairfax County, Alexandria, D.C., Loudoun, Prince George's, and Montgomery. Not one of them said it made their job harder. That's surprising to me. They basically said that there was a different sort of interaction that you had with the public. First of all, you're not having much of an interaction. They went from, you know, if you see something going on the street that maybe looks a little shady, normally you'd stop and kind of walk and be like, hey, what's going on here? How's everybody doing? Now they'd kind of like sit, park and like watch for a while. There was just less proactive policing. There's so many decisions they make when even just like approaching a vehicle, even pulling you over. Is this the right spot? Is this the wrong person to pull over? Is this, you know, do I have the legal right to pull this person over? How do I approach the car? All of these things Mm -hmm. that if they don't have to think all of that stuff because they have the reason of COVID to kind of pull back and go, you know what? He didn't make a full stop. I'm going to let that go. Now, did it make us safer? Different question. I don't know that the answer is yes. The one thing is when they said they had to show up for like the COVID call and the ambulance was called and they obviously respond to make sure everything's okay. It took so long, they said, for them to anybody, even the EMTs, to just fully like put on all the PPE to go in that a lot of them expressed to me anxiety about not being able to help as quickly as they could because they just had to protect themselves and their colleagues. But I think on the normal day to day, pulling people over and just kind of checking stuff out, I didn't hear that it made their jobs any harder. These compounding issues of the last year, the police reform brought on by calls for racial justice and all these changes brought on by the pandemic. I mean, those two things alone made it a really tumultuous year of crime. You know, when you have a lot of change, a lot of change comes from it. It's all working toward being a better society. But just to have those two things happen at the same time, I'm sort of not surprised that one shook out the other. It made sense to me that if we're going to tackle this major issue that we should have been tackling as a society for years, 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 years ago that we would be doing it during a pandemic that hasn't happened, whatever, in 200 years. That seems to jive with me. And I will ask the perennial question, pulling you out of the Megan Clarity trip down memory lane, looking to the future and fully acknowledging you do not have a crystal ball. What parts of the change to policing and the way we interact with crime do you think are going to stay? Do you think this uptick in carjacking is going to become the new normal? Do you think the rollback on preventative policing will remain intact? I think you're going to have some knee-jerk reactions like you do to any Mm -hmm. change. 
I mean, I think you're going to yeah. lose a lot of police officers to start with because the people who feel like they've lost power in some way, I don't see anybody crying a tear over them leaving. But they already have retention issues. It doesn't matter what department you ask. So who do we need to get into policing? And how long does it take for the people who fit the new job description to get in and get trained and be the person who you actually interact with on the street? So I think there's a couple years before we really see it play out the way it's meant to. I mean, you change a law and it takes a little while. You know, obviously it's important if Virginia, for example, passed the no chokeholds. That needs to be in effect right away. There's no question about that. But do we see an immediate major case? I don't think so. That comes from that. I think it's going to be a couple of years. You know what I'm saying? It's a little bit of a growing pains. Mm-hmm. And I hope that those growing pains aren't deadly. Because when it comes to policing, it can very well be. D.C. made national headlines in March after two girls, 13 and 15, were charged with murder after the carjacking of an Uber Eats driver turned fatal. At the beginning of this month, district officials launched their annual Summer Crime Prevention Initiative. Mayor Muriel Bowser. We know that summer sometimes brings more outdoor activity, and unfortunately, we brace ourselves for the possibility of more crime. The Federal Trade Commission logged more than 490,000 consumer complaints related to the COVID-19 and stimulus payments as of May 3rd. These scams have cost consumers nearly $433 million. A joint effort between the Postal Service and AARP said this month that they have seen an increase in scams targeting veterans, offering a way to cut the vaccine line for cash. A big thank you to Megan for joining us. You can hear more of her work on American Nightmare, a podcast covering true crime stories in the Washington, D.C. region. Today's episode was produced by me, Laura Spitalniak. And me, Luke Garrett. Megan will be back with us next week to discuss crime's corollary in the pandemic, the court system. Join us next Monday as the world reopens. I wanted to take a second to tell you about an app I really enjoy. Living in the D.C. area is great, and Podcast D.C. gathers all the local shows that I like, all in one local app. Health, sports, local news, politics, and so much more. I can earn exciting rewards just for listening and share the podcasts I love instantly. And for the month of May 2021, get a chance to win Maryland lottery tickets. Available in the App Store or in Google Play. Listen local with Podcast D.C.